This week has been a difficult week for our nation. As uh, I sang and sang along with you the words of the song we have just sung, the third stanza speaks in a particular way uh, to many of the believers in the state of Florida. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. Reminded of, uh, of a pastor friend, uh, Jeremy Rini, who pastors a church on Sanibel Island uh, that was hit and wiped away by uh, Hurricane Yan or Yin. And they don't have a place to worship today. They, they don't know when they'll be able to be back on the island to worship. But times like this, like this week, when uh, a whole area is devastated so, so significantly, we're reminded that this world is not the way it was meant to be. We live under the curse of, of the effects of, of sin. And we're reminded and brought to consider, why is it this way? Well, this morning we get to hear how it all started, where the curse began, and how is it that it's affecting us so powerfully even today still. This morning, I invite you to open God's Word to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and we're going to learn about the first Adam and what he did to bring the whole human race the whole humanity and all the universe uh, to this state of being under the curse of sin. But in this passage, we will also learn that Adam was not alone, that there would be a, a second Adam. And this morning, we will learn about him. Let's hear God's word this morning from the book of Romans, chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 12. All the, all the way to verse 21. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray with me, asking God to bless the preaching of this word and the hearing of it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have given us your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. As we read of it from this passage, as we stand before this text, I ask that you would help me preach it and proclaim it with clarity and with a conviction of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for all of us who are here this morning, who hear this message, that you would speak to our hearts, open our hearts, cause us to hunger for your ways, cause us to receive your grace. In the name of Jesus we pray, and through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, in the passage we were looking at in the first half of chapter 5, we saw a list of the benefits the key benefits of what it means to be justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have hope for the glory of God. And we have rejoicing in God. And all of these benefits, we were told, are ours through Jesus. But one may ask, why is it that one man's actions can have such a big effect on humanity, on, on people. How is it possible that Jesus' act of righteousness can be counted by God as our righteousness? How can God consider the righteous status of Christ, his merits, to be counted on our behalf? In the first part of chapter 5, Paul unpacked the effects of this righteousness. But in the second half, he tells us the rationale. He tells us how is it that what Jesus obtained can become ours, can be counted as ours. Paul's answer is because Jesus is the better Adam. Because Jesus is the better Adam. That's why Jesus, God can count the benefits of Jesus. What he did, they can be counted on our behalf. Because Jesus is our better Adam, a new humanity is formed by grace. That's the argument that this text is trying to make. Because Jesus is the better Adam, a new humanity is formed by grace. In order to appreciate the significance of Jesus, we must understand 
what the first Adam did. And that's what this text is actually doing for us. There's a contrast in this text between the first Adam and the second Adam. So let's look at this passage. And if you like taking notes, we will have two main points. How Adam affected humanity. That's the first point. And the second point will be how the second Adam affected humanity. Let's look at how the first Adam affected humanity. We're told in verse 12 that Adam introduced sin into the world. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. It's interesting to notice that Adam introduced sin not merely into his life. Did you notice that? He introduced sin not merely into his life, but into the world. Adam was the gateway by which sin came into this world, into this universe. Why? Because he was at the head of the human race. He was the first human being, and as such, he represents all humanity. He is not merely the first among others. He is the first human being and takes on the role of our representative. That's why his sin was not merely a sin that affected himself alone, but a sin that affected all humanity and all creation. Adam introduced not only sin into the world, another effect of Adam's uh, that Adam had upon this world is that he introduced death into the world. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now in Genesis 2 and 3, God made it very clear that Adam's disobedience of eating from the tree would bring death. So when Adam rebelled against God, he introduced not merely sin into the world, but, but death. This death would have physical ramifications, and this death would also have spiritual ramifications. The reality of, de of death around us is a regular reminder of the rebellion of the first Adam. In the next chapter, chapter 6, Paul will remind us again he will say in chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Have you noticed how painful the experience of death is among loved ones? Those among us who have experienced death, perhaps of a spouse or of a close family member, or even perhaps a close friend, death is painful because it brings separation that pain is, is deep, but it's only a token of the glimpse of the pain that God experienced in the separation of, of creation, of, of mankind, of humanity. The first human who rebelled against God and brought sin into the world and therefore brought death as well. But Adam not only introduced sin into the world, he not only introduced death into the world, but Adam represented all of us 
in his sin. Verse 12 makes clear that the death that Adam introduced was not only for Adam, but for all humanity. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now this phrase, because all sinned, has been interpreted in different ways. Some take this verse and interpret it by itself without the context of the following verses and claim that death spread to all human beings because each human being subsequently sinned. So that the spread of death was not so much because of Adam's sin, but because human beings sin. After all, this is what this phrase seems to suggest. Death spread to all because all sinned. So according to this view, humanity experiences death because humanity repeats Adam's sin and rebellion. That's one way to interpret this phrase. I submit to you that this is not a very good interpretation because of the rest of this text, what it teaches us about the effects of Adam's sin. A second way to interpret this phrase, so death spread to all because all sinned, is to see that Adam's sin was on behalf of the entire human race so that the rest of the human race was united with Adam in his sin when he sinned. If we look at the rest of this text, Paul is making that point four times. Look at verse 15. For if many died through one man's trespass. Or look at verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. In both verses, death began reigning over humanity, not because each individual continued to sin on their own, but because of the sin of the first man. So death came upon all humanity because of the sin of the first Adam. Then look at verse 18. So one trespass led to condemnation for all men. The condemnation for all men happened through the sin of the first Adam. So through Adam's sin, the condemnation came upon us all. The final evidence is verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners. In other words, Adam's sin was sufficient. It was the sufficient rebellion to make all humanity sinners. Our status as sinners came upon us all because of Adam's sin. So how do we reconcile verse 12 
that says that all that death spread to all because all sinned with the rest of these verses that seem to suggest that we have received the condemnation and the consequences not because we sinned but because Adam sinned how do you put these these two together and the answer is we were all in Adam when he sinned we actually sinned when Adam sinned because Adam was the head of the human race and because of that all human beings sinned in Adam there's another evidence for this interpretation and that is in verses 13 and 14 sin was in the world before the law was given in verses 13 and 14 Paul says for sin indeed was in the world before law, the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one to come what does it mean that sin was not counted where there is no law well Paul is presenting here an objection that technically if there is no law revealed one could make the argument that there's no breaking of the law in other words if no law of God was revealed and therefore broken it would mean that death would not be around but Paul's argument is but death is around and death has been around before the giving of the law how do we explain this the answer is because when Adam sinned we all sinned we don't need the arrival of the law for us to become sinners because in Adam's sin we all were made sinners death's reign between Adam and Moses is proof that we were all in Adam when he sinned therefore we all sinned even though we have not yet been born you say how is that possible well friends first of all this is a doctrine of original sin because Adam was the head of the human race we all share in what he did and thus share in his condemnation and are thus under the reign of death you may say well how is that fair why do we bear the consequences of what Adam did and this brings up the biblical principle of corporate solidarity now this is harder for us to understand especially for us Westerners we focus almost exclusively on only what we as individuals are responsible for and what we as individuals have actually done but even in our Western experiences and our in our overly individualistic frame of reference there are scenarios and experiences in our lives where one person acting affects others 
And he can act on behalf of others, either benefiting them or affecting them negatively. Let me give you an example. When my family immigrated to the United States, my father was asked to be the pastor of a Romanian-speaking congregation in Akron, Ohio. So when the church was looking for a pastor, they asked my dad to consider to be their pastor. They voted him in, and upon that vote, the church made a petition to the INS office uh, to grant my father uh, the status or the, the green card application or the, the status. So they went through the process. It took a few months. And at the end of the few months of that process being carried out, my father received the green card. But when he received the green card, my mother also received the green card. And guess who else received the green card? The children received the green card. Myself and my siblings. Now, we didn't apply for it in the sense of having a work visa. But because my dad was the head of our household, the green card application that he received was also granted to us, even though we were not the ones applying for work. My dad was. Because he was the head of the household, what was granted to him was applied fully to all of us. That's an example of corporate solidarity. And the same principle works in the other direction. When parents choose a path of destructive behaviors, whether it is drugs, abuse, violence, the children inherit significant negative experiences and effects. The children get to benefit, rightly or wrongly, positively or negatively, of what happens to the parents. This is the principle of corporate solidarity. The action of one person affects others. Each of these illustrations have their limitations, and you could push back. But the point is that even in our individualistic Western society, we still have dimensions of corporate solidarity. If we are to understand what God has done with us, we must understand this principle of corporate solidarity. This text tells us that all humanity has participated in Adam's sin because Adam was the head of the household of all humanity. Because he was in the head position of all humanity. So as one Bible teacher put it beautifully, universal death is attributed to a single solitary sin. Friends, this has important applications for us. Particularly, it's not that we are sinners because we commit specific sins. Rather, 
We sin because we're sinners. And we're sinners because Adam sinned. And we were all in Adam when he sinned. Everything we heard about Adam here is pretty devastating. After all, he dragged all humanity into sin, into condemnation, and into death. Thanks, Adam. But there's something very hopeful in these verses about Adam. Look at how verse 14 ends. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Wow. Even though Adam was in a unique position as the head of the household of all humanity, we are told here that he was not alone in that unique position, that he was pointing forward to another one who was to come. And this is significant because in his unique role at the head of the human race, even though he failed miserably for all of us, the one good thing he did is that he pointed forward. He was a pattern, a type, a mold of the one who would also act on behalf of others. So what he would do would be counted on their behalf as well. This text presents us the contrast between the first Adam and the second one, which has also been simply called the second Adam. So let's look at the effects of the second Adam. Believe it or not, this text is not trying to convince us of the effects of the first Adam. This text is presupposing the effects of the first Adam. What this text is trying to convince us is of the effects of the second Adam. In verse 15, we're finally told who is this second one to whom or about whom the first Adam was pointing to. His name is Jesus Christ. Instead of introducing sin into the world like the first Adam, look at what the second Adam introduced. A gift. A free gift. And we're told multiple times that this free gift is opposite of what Adam did. Of what came through Adam. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. A similar phrase is repeated again in verse 16. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Actually, in verses 15, 16, and 17, the free gift is contrasted with Adam's trespass three times. What's so different about this free gift? Well, look with me. The first difference in this free gift is that it is bringing the very opposite of what Adam brought. What is that? If Adam's sin brought condemnation, the free gift brings justification. Declared guilty under the first Adam, declared righteous under the second. Look at verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift 
following many trespasses, brought justification. You know, friends, by belonging to Adam, we get the same condemnation he received. But when we turn to Jesus by faith, we receive the same righteousness that Jesus had because his righteousness is credited to our account. That's the meaning of being justified. And this is the grace of God. We receive the same righteousness as Jesus had because Jesus acted in the same role as Adam acted on behalf of others. So what happened to Jesus happens to us when we place our faith in him. But a second goodie, a second benefit of this good gift is that the free gift comes despite the many sins. Look again at verse 15. Paul makes another contrast that shows why the gift of grace is so much better than what we received from the first, uh, from the first Adam. Actually, I'm sorry, in verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In Adam's case, the judgment that brought condemnation came only after one breaking of the law. Because only one breaking of the law was sufficient to bring condemnation upon Adam and upon the whole human race. But the free gift comes differently. The free gift that comes from Jesus is different in a much better way because it comes not after the breaking of one law, but after many breakings of the law. Look again, verse 16. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Why is this significant? It tells us that the free gift of God through Jesus Christ is not conditioned by the past sins. God's free gift is not given to those who have a cleaner record than others. It's not given to those who deserve it, but to those who don't. Well, friends, if, if you feel that you've gone too far for the grace of God to reach you, let this verse encourage you to seek after God regardless of how many sins of the past you have committed. God's grace of salvation is not given to those who to sin less. Also, God does not wait for us to clean up our lives and then he comes in. It also means that God's grace is always able to overcome sin no matter how many our sins are. In this sense, God's grace is truly greater than all our sins. It is stronger than our sin. It is vastly superior than what Adam brought us into with his sin. But there's another major difference between the free gift of God, of God's grace, and, and what Adam gave us. The free gift brings a different rain. I wonder if you saw that. Instead of the rain of death, we see people reigning in life. If Adam's sin caused death to reign upon all humanity, the effects of this 
free gift of God's grace is that those who receive it will reign in life through Christ. Look at verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What a contrast. What a gift. Adam's sin brought the reign of death. The free gift that Jesus brings, brings the reign of life. Friends, this is why the gift of God's grace is such a big deal. Instead of allowing us to continue under the reign of death, brings us under a different reign, a different dominion. What a gift this grace is. But this free gift that Paul has been contrasting with what Adam gave us, this free gift is only possible because of what Jesus did. This is only possible because what Jesus did as the second Adam. We cannot separate the gift of God's grace from the person of Jesus Christ who actually accomplished this gift for us. That's why when people just presume upon the grace of God, assuming that they can just demand or expect or be entitled to the grace of God without that personal connection to Jesus Christ, such, such expectations that God will just be good to you outside of Jesus and apart from what Jesus is and has come to do for us, such expectations will leave us very disappointed in the end. The gift of God's grace is only possible because of what Jesus has done. So let's consider, and this is what Paul does for the remaining of this text, he will consider what Jesus has done with what Adam has done. What has Jesus done? If we were to look at verses 18 and 19 and put the bullet points and contrast the bullet points between Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus, in a nutshell, we would say, Jesus relived Adam's role but chose not to make the wrong turns that Adam took. Look at verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In other words, Adam acted sinfully, Jesus acted righteously, and thus brought us justification. Adam disobeyed, thus making all humanity to be sinners, but Jesus obeyed so that all those who turned to him by faith could be counted righteous and receive life. Adam's sin brought us all death. Jesus' righteousness 
brought us all life. Now, because Paul wrote this message to a church that had Jewish and Gentile Christians in it, and they were debating about the use of the law and what benefits it had in fighting off sin and, and earning our right standing with God, Paul will have a little application about the law here as well. The law, he says, was not able to contribute with anything positive to undo Adam's effect of sin over us. Quite the opposite, Paul says, the role of the law was to expose and increase man's sin. Look at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, which is a way of saying you can't fight sin with the law. You will not overcome sin with the law. What you need is the grace of God manifested for us in Jesus Christ. What we need is the righteousness of God manifested for us in Jesus Christ. What we need is the one act of righteousness that Jesus acted. And this is exactly what, does, what God does through his grace in Jesus Christ for us. He makes grace abound where sin increased in order that the reign of grace might, not prevail, might prevail over the reign of sin. And sin may not prevail in conflict with grace. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase a trespass. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, friends, in Adam and in Christ, there is a competition over what will have dominion over humanity. Is it sin or is it righteousness? In the first Adam, sin reigns through death. In the second Adam, Grace reigns through righteousness and it leads to eternal life. And the question is, when these two meet one another, who is going to be stronger? One of the shows I enjoy watching once in a while is these guys, I don't even know what to call them, but they compare tools Similar tools, different brands. And they get them to work against each other. Who's going to win? Which brand is stronger? And it's fun to see. They put them to all kinds of crazy tests. In a similar way, Paul is presenting here the reign of sin that Adam brought and the reign of grace that the second Adam introduced. Who's stronger? When sin increases, when the law of God actually increases the balance of our sin, Paul says, listen, be confident in this. Where sin increases, the grace of God increases all the more. 
Because God sent Jesus to replay the role of Adam, to start over a new humanity in which grace will reign through righteousness, not our righteousness, but his. And when his righteousness reigns in us and over us, we begin to start sprouting little flowers of righteousness. But again, it is because grace reigns not through our righteousness. It never reigns through our righteousness. It reigns through the righteousness of Christ because he has the clean record. And he wants to start over a new humanity and give us that clean record. What a different effect this second Adam has. This is why Jesus is the better Adam. Sin and its dominion through death would be replaced by grace and its dominion through righteousness. Jesus as the second Adam is forming a new humanity in which sin will no longer be the dominating power. But grace will be. And grace will, will reign through righteousness. That's why in starting with chapter 6 and 7 and 8... Paul will unfold for us an incredibly beautiful theology of sanctification. But it all goes back to Christ's act of obedience. It's his act of obedience to overcome Adam's disobedience that grace prevails over sin while eternal life prevails over death. This text presents both Adam and Jesus as representatives of humanity. Their acts determine the destiny of all who belong to them. By our physical death, by our physical birth, every one of us belongs to the first Adam. Every one of us. But by faith in Jesus Christ, any of us can belong to the second Adam. And I wonder if you belong to the better Adam. When we call on God to save us, when we repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus as the one who acted obediently in our behalf, oh friends, our faith in Christ unites us to Christ so that his act of obedience is counted as our obedience. All this is possible because God sent Jesus to be the fulfillment to whom Adam pointed to as the head of the human race. I wonder if you see Jesus as the better Adam. And after hearing this message, if you're drawn to belong to the better Adam by faith, if you have not yet turned to Jesus to belong to him, I pray that you would do so today, right now. Turn to him by faith. Ask God to save you. Embrace Jesus by faith, and he will become your second Adam, the better Adam. Oh, friends, if you would like to know what that means, 
If you'd like to know more what that means, we would love to talk to you. Please talk to any of the pastors here, here or any of the members of this congregation. When the service is dismissed, we would love to talk to you to make sure you understand what it means to belong to the second Adam because he's the better one. If Jesus is our better Adam, for those of us who already belong to the better Adam, friends, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice that you and I are counted righteous by faith before we acted righteously. Just like in the first Adam, we were counted sinners before we acted sinfully. It's actually because of what we were counted and have become that we began living out. The same way that we are counted righteous by faith in Christ the effect of that is that we can begin acting righteously. We're never counted righteous before God because we act righteously, but because we put our faith in Jesus, who is our righteous one. So rejoice. If Jesus is our better Adam, rejoice knowing that we are no longer condemned before God. If Jesus is our better Adam, rejoice in the hope of eternal life through Christ. If Jesus is our better Adam, Rejoice that grace reigns in our lives through righteousness. And therefore, we can begin acting righteously because we have already been made righteous in the sight of God. What a confidence. What a fuel for our sanctification. What a joy to know that God provided for us a better Adam. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we praise you that in Jesus Christ, you have worked a mysterious and awe-filled experience of causing your only son to take on human flesh, to become human, so that through his perfect obedience, even to the point of death, his righteousness would be counted ours. Oh, gracious Father, we pray that you would make this great news of the gospel bear fruit in our hearts with new life and new vision for those who are still dead in their sins and blinded by their rebellion, and with new joy and confidence in you for all of us who have been awakened to your grace. We pray that Christ would reign supremely and that your grace would truly reign in our lives through the righteousness of Jesus. It is in, in his name that we pray for his glory and honor. Amen.